this is going to be it's going to be cataloged on sermon audio. You have friends that are Church of Christ. Okay? That was started by Alexander Campbell. They teach the heresy of baptismal regeneration. Well, you need to know how to correct that error. This message is going to be the answer for that. How, how do you correct that error? How do you, how do you start that conversation? Your friend, uh, who's a Church of Christer, they are going to go to hell on Acts 2.38. You need to help them. You need to try to. A lot of people in the world going to hell on Acts 2.38. Uh, you got people that are Jesus only, oneness Pentecostals, who believe that you are saved by baptism in Jesus' name. You have to be baptized with the words, the formula, in the name of Jesus, or in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are baptized in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, you are not saved, it's not a valid baptism, and you're, gonna go, and you're not saved. That's what they say. But they believe baptism saves you. You need to help your friends. That, that there might be somebody um, that this is going to help. Now, I'm willing to bet that there is. There's a billion Catholics in the world. A lot of them believe you're saved by baptism. That's how you're born again. Is that how you're born again? Through baptism? No. But we've got to be able to show them. And uh, so we're going to start at Acts 2.38. We're going to go through some of this. But as we get started, you know... The Great Awakening. Are you familiar with the Great Awakening? I don't know how much they teach history in school anymore. But when I was in school, I do remember hearing about the Great Awakening. There were key men in that <coughs> awakening, um, such as Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, and the New Lights, a group called the New Lights. Now, we highlight these men, but you've got to understand, there's a whole bunch of praying churches during that time. Little groups of people, little pockets of people, little uh, elderly women banding together, praying. Don't underestimate. The heroes in this thing, we try to say the heroes were men. Well, there's, there's some heroes that are behind the scenes that never get mentioned, so let's keep that in mind. There were a couple of sisters, a couple of elderly women that were sisters who prayed like nobody's business, and God used their, their prayers, and, and as a result, there was a revival, and that was over on the Isle of Lewis, and that has to do with a different time, but what I'm saying is, before awakenings, before revivals, there's always prayer. And uh, God answers that prayer. Amen. But Baptist churches, of which were only 34 in the entire English colonies in 1734. Only 34 Baptist churches. They had little or nothing to do with the start of the Great Awakening. But this seminal event in American history also lit the fuse for the explosive growth of the Baptist churches thereafter. And what God did was he used some Church of England preachers and, uh, who became Methodists. This is from 2,000 Years of Baptist History, written by uh, Baptist attorney Terry Lee Hamilton. It's very good, very good information. But I just want to read to you the explanation or the summary of George Whitfield as we start. George Whitfield one of these great preachers that God used in the Great Awakening, he was a contemporary and friend of the Wesley brothers. Back when he was in England, the Wesley brothers, who's that? Charles Wesley, John Wesley. Charles was the hymn writer. Man, incredible hymns he wrote. And then uh, John Wesley was a preacher. And both, both started what became known as the Methodist churches. 
wonderful, wonderful men, preachers. But you know, um, when John Wesley came over to the United States from England to try to evangelize the Indians in Georgia, imagine going out into the woods. Now, I've been down in Georgia in July, Fort Benning. That was hot. I've never been that hot before in my life. But I went through basic training in Fort Benning in July. <laughs> that was it was like 120 in the shade in the trees. Well, he went into Fort Benning, Georgia, before it settled, and wild Indians out there and going out there to preach the gospel to him. Only one problem, John Wesley was not saved. He was sprinkled as a baby, and he was confirmed and went through all that stuff and belonged to a church, even went to training, you know, and was trained in the Bible. But he wasn't saved. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of preachers like that now in the United States standing behind pulpits, and they're not saved, just like John Wesley. They need to be born again. But, you know, he, he's on the way over to the United States, and on the boat coming over, he's on there with some Moravian missionaries. Now, the Moravians, these were born-again, sold-out missionaries. What they would do is they would teach, uh, they would be taught a trade, so there was something that they could do with their hands to make money. They would teach their children this trade. And then they would go somewhere, and they, they were a great missionary movement. They would go all over the world, and they would go, and they would start a business, earn money with their own hands, like Paul. You know, he was a tent maker. And they would uh, preach the gospel and start churches, a great missionary movement. Well, a bunch of Moravians, their families, was on the boat there. And the boat almost uh, was broken up in the midst of a storm. And John Wesley almost died coming to Georgia to preach the gospel. But you know what he found out when he almost died? He found out, I'm not ready to die. I don't think I'm saved. I don't know. I don't know for sure if I'm saved. And then he looked at the Moravians, and they, everybody thought they were going to die. And what were the Moravians doing? They were all singing hymns. They all had the peace of God and the light of, of heaven on their face, you know. And, just, and, and so he talked to them afterwards. He said, weren't you worried? And they said, no, we know where our soul stands. You know, I'm, 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 I'm quoting, putting that in my own words. But they said, no, we, we got it settled. We're saved. And they started looking at him like, maybe you don't. And so he goes into Georgia, preaches to the Indians, nothing happens. Of course, nothing happens. He's not saved. So he gets back on the boat. And after a failure there, wonders what's going on, gets back on the boat and goes back to England. And guess who he runs into? A Moravian. And so this Moravian leads him to Christ, to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And he realizes, I need to be born again even though I was baptized as an infant. He wasn't yet saved. And so George Whitfield, he was a friend of these people. And what George Whitfield did is he traveled up and down the country of England and the colonies of America preaching Holy Spirit-filled messages. And you can still read his messages. They, they have some of them written down. And you know what he would preach all the time? This was his theme. No matter what he preached on, he'd always come back to this. He preached, you must be born again. And he preached to large crowds. And after John Wesley got saved, he became a, a real good friend of this George Whitfield. But uh, he says, you must be born again. And there were crowds like were never before seen in England. It was like a phenomenon. In, in England, they say in the colonies, there were up to 10,000 people at one time would gather to hear George Whitfield. And he didn't have a mic. It was just one man with a big, broad chest and big, broad shoulders, preaching to 10,000 people in an open field. Incredible. And so uh, many of the Puritan pastors strongly objected to Whitfield's emotional messages because they said Whitfield was like an actor. He could hold your attention. 
You know, he, he was a great, great preacher. And while many Baptist preachers even opposed his Calvinistic emphasis, because he was a Calvinist, on this, the grace and the sovereignty of God, yet God used him greatly. And uh, coming over to the States, everywhere he went, he says, you must be born again. You know why I'm saying that? He's preaching to a bunch of people who went to church every Sunday. That was just what you did. Even if you weren't interested, you still went to church because you're going to hear some interesting things and you don't have much entertainment anyways. And he's preaching to a bunch of people, most of which, if not all, I don't know this for sure, but most of which were baptized as infants. That much I do know. Because you had Episcopalians uh, coming over here from the Church of England. You had uh, the Puritans and you had the Baptists. Now the Baptists wouldn't have been baptized as infants, but you had others. And they're coming over here and he's preaching to a bunch of people and they kept, and you know what? One time one woman came up to George Whitfield. I've read this. She came up to George Whitfield and said, why do you keep saying you must be born again? Every time I hear you, you say the same thing. You must be born again. And he says, because dear lady, you must be born again. Here's the point. They weren't born again when they were sprinkled as infants. Baptism is not the new birth. But you've got a lot of people, if you've got a Church of Christ friend, they think baptism is the new birth. And, by the way, if you really pin them down and, and ask them about this, they'll tell you that unless you're baptized by a Church of Christ elder, you're going to go to hell. You see, it's Alexander Campbell and successionism back to, the, back to Christ. They try to follow succession all the way back to the apostles. And they say, therefore, that's the only legitimate baptism. They're not the only ones. Landmark Baptists do the same thing. They try to say, there's a, there's a end the Catholic Church. If you're not a part of the Catholic Church, you, you're, you can't be saved because salvation is of the church, not Christ. Yeah. They'll run you around and around, won't they? Yeah. 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 Get you one of them, one of the weaker backslidden teenagers and work with them. Get them out of that mess. And uh, yeah, because now. The, it's damnable. Acts 2.38. There's a lot of people, like I said, a lot of people are going to go to hell on Acts 2.38. But how do they get it? So this is a good question. How do they get that? Well, let's take a look at it. Acts 2.38. Let's read that real quick. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now what I'm going to tell you tonight is that is not the plan of salvation. And that's not the gospel that Paul preached. Right? But it says, if you repent and you're baptized, then you'll receive the Holy Ghost. And forgiveness of sins, right? That's what it says on the face. That's what it, people think it means. Now, what I'm going to promise you tonight is I'm going to stop when it's time to stop. And I'm not going to do a part two, okay? But I'm going to try to go through this, and I will try to tie it up at the end and uh, make it all come back to, uh, I'll bring it to a land, okay? We're, we're taking off, we're on the runway, we've taken off. We're in flight, and I'll bring it back onto the runway. So baptismal regeneration, that's a religious term that's used to describe the error that water baptism is actually the means by which we're cleansed from our sins and born again. 
Re means again, right? Generation means to give life, birth. It's Genesis is what it is. To form or to create. So you need to be born again. You need to be regenerated. There's regeneration in the Bible two times. One time it's in Titus 3.5, and it's a spiritual baptism, or a spiritual birth. Titus 3.5, it's a spiritual birth, and it's talking about you need to be born again. Then there's the other time that it's mentioned, and it's talking about the regeneration of this world and of nature. And one of these days, the Lord is going to regenerate this world and regenerate nature, and no more will... I was watching this uh, documentary, uh, Jay saw it, of these uh, wolves, these white wolves up in Antarctica, and how they're killing one another. And one, one pack of wolves came in and attacked the den of this mother that was all on her own, caring for her, her, her little uh, pups. And she put them into a den to hide them. And this pack of wolves came and got in there and killed them all. Terrible, isn't that? That's sad. But killed them all. But if they would have grown up, they would have been a threat to this other pack and they probably would have killed them. Yeah. And it's interesting, very interesting. And there was this other little thing. I don't know what it was called, but it's like a little white fox, kind of like the red foxes we have running around here. And it kind of it goes like this, and it gets this funny look on his face. And then it jumps way up in the air, about three feet, and then does a nosedive real hard in the snow to get these little critters that are crawling around these little tunnels underneath there. And it'll eat a bunch of those in the daytime in one day. And I thought that was pretty interesting. But it was kind of funny. It just went, woo, and it went, Poof, and got those things. It's able to hear them. Just incredible. Yeah. And they're carnivores. But there's going to come a time when the whole world is regenerated. Nobody's a carnivore anymore. You know, the animals don't eat one another, and kids can play with poisonous snakes if they wanted to. So, use two times. The one time in Titus 3.5, it's a spiritual regeneration. And when you think of that word regeneration, just think of born again. You must be born again. So those who practice the sprinkling of infants often believe that when you are baptized, you are born again. That's an error. And the most obstinate of all of the teachers of this error is the followers of Alexander Campbell, known as the Church of Christ. They teach that you must be baptized by one of their elders. Now listen, if you know somebody that's a Church of Christ, do not treat them like they're a Christian just like you. Don't do it. You're not doing any favors for them. But these days that we live in, everybody get together now. Come on, let's all get along. Everybody get together. We're all going to go to a Christian concert together. No, those people, if they actually believe that, what they're trying to do is they're working their way to heaven. And you tell them, all right, have you, have you believed? Yeah, I believed. Have you repented? Yeah, I was repented. Have you have been baptized? Yeah, I've been baptized by, by an elder from the Church of Christ. Yeah. And then these other things that they put in there. And then you've got to walk it. You've got to live it. And then you say to them, all right, are you saved? And they'll say, I don't know. And you say, no, come on. You said that you've got to do all these things or else you can't be saved. Have you done them? Yeah. Are you saved? Well, I don't know. You tell them the Bible says, 1 John 5.13, that you can know. I've got a no-so salvation. Do you? You don't if you're trying to work for it. <laughs> but 1 John 5.13 says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know. So I can know based upon my belief on the Son of God. So their problem is that their object that they're trusting in is a baptism in their good works or being a part of their church. You've got to be a part of that church. Yeah, the problem is, is that they need to move their, the object of their faith, they need to change it from all those things to putting it on Christ alone, where the Bible says to put it. So, what is the meaning of Acts 2.38? 
Can we look at this together? Then Peter said unto them, okay, who's he talking to? Unto them. You ever thought about that? I want to do a study in the book of Acts because it's really an eye-opener. And, uh, but you ever thought about who's them? Well, at the, at the time of Acts 2.38, there was not a Christian on the face of the earth. Let that sink in for just a second. In Acts chapter 11, verse 26, that's the first time that the, that the disciples were called Christians. All the way in Acts chapter 11. Back in Acts chapter 2, not one Christian in the lot. You know what you have in Acts chapter 2? You have a bunch of Jews living under the law of Moses, even though they're not supposed to be, but they're living under the law of Moses, and they're living according to it. And they're all, listen, they're all pork-abstaining, bearded, temple-worshipping, Sabbath-keeping, Old Testament Mosaic Law Jews. Is that you? Do you abstain from pork? Do you go to a temple in Israel? to make sacrifices so that your sins can be forgiven? No, but that's what they were doing. You see? They were under the law. And you know what they were? These people, they were the people who crucified Christ. They were the people who refused to be baptized by John's baptism. These were the Christ rejectors. These were Jews coming in for this holy day of Pentecost, which was observed annually, coming in from all over the place, coming in there, but in that crowd you had the people who killed their Messiah, who were there and condemned him and said, crucify him, crucify him. That's who Peter's talking to. And so it's just a whole bunch of Jews, not one Gentile and the whole lot. You got to get that. Wasn't a Gentile present. And that's everybody else that's not a Jew. So this is the argument that they put on you. They say, if repentance and baptism, if you look at 238, If repentance and baptism in the name of Jesus Christ is the way that your sins are remitted or forgiven. So if repentance and baptism are for the remission of sins, can a person have remission of sins before he's baptized? Furthermore, can a person receive the Holy Ghost before he's baptized? You see, it's a pretty strong argument, isn't it? But you can listen, you can take one scripture, pull it out of its context, and twist it and make it teach anything you want it to teach. I can show you tonight, I can go through the Bible and show you you, you've got to work for your salvation. I can do it. I could. I'd have to twist scriptures and pull them out of their context. You know what the context is? Everything that's before it, everything that's after it. The context ultimately is the whole Word of God, the counsel of God. And so they take this out of the context and they twist it and they make it a pretext, as they say, and make it say whatever they want to say. But everyone present was a Jew. What did the Jews who were present on the day of Pentecost understand? What do you think that these people standing there listening to Peter, what do you think they understood? Well, to get a little bit more of an idea of who they were in the crowd, would you look with me? Let's see. Look with me over at Luke chapter 23. Let's go through some of this material and get a little bit farther along. Look with me at Luke 23. Luke 23 and verse 34. So remember, Wednesday night's a 
a Bible study. Luke 23, verse 34. Maybe you know somebody who's a Catholic and you know they're not trusting Christ, they're trusting in their church or their own good works. You need to help them. You have a responsibility to them and just pray and ask for God to help you to open up a gospel conversation. But you've got to be able to understand that they're believing something other than what Paul preached. So they have another gospel. But Luke chapter 24 and verse 34, if you're there, and look at that. 23, and 23 verse 34, sorry. 23 verse 34. Look at that. And uh, then said Jesus, now he's hanging on the cross, he's praying, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do, and they parted his raiment and cast lots. Now, who's he praying for? Who's he saying, forgive? He's saying, Father, forgive the people who crucified me. Forgive them. Now, Jesus is praying to the Father. So this is a prayer within the Trinity. Do you think his prayer was answered? Do you think the Father did what he wanted him to do? Well, yeah, sure. So did they receive forgiveness? Yeah, they were forgiven. And that's the kind of Savior that you serve. Isn't that wonderful? There's nothing so bad that you can do that He will not forgive. He's merciful and it's just, it's almost just makes you feel ashamed. I mean, it does. But look, I don't care what you've done, He can forgive you. I don't care if you did it after you got saved. He can forgive you and cleanse you and make it right. Now, I know it's not fair. It's not fair to Him. But he'll do it. And anybody tries to tell you anything different, they're self-righteous and religious, and they're speaking for the devil. Verse 35, And the people stood beholding, who's the people? And the rulers also with them derided him. That's the people, the Jewish people, the rulers of the Jews. Now, would it be a mixed congregation there? Sure. But the people there are the Jews watching this thing happen. And the rulers, he saved others. Now look, they're... They're mocking him. Let him save himself. If he be Christ, the chosen of God. These are religious people who know these things. It's the Jews. And the soldiers. Now he's making a distinction, just so you know. Now he's talking about the Roman soldiers who actually nailed him to the cross. The soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. Making fun of him. You know what? Are you too good? Are you too good to open up your mouth for Jesus for fear that somebody might make fun of you? Jesus hanging on that cross, stripped naked, dying for our sins. They were making fun of him. You know what he said? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But he hung there and he endured the suffering, despising the shame, but he did it for you. And sometimes we're so afraid to open up our mouth to talk for Jesus for fear of what somebody might say about us. Well, that's, that's sad, ain't it? But he says here, forgive them. He's talking to the Jews and the rulers of the Jews. So that's who was present at his crucifixion. And out on the day of Pentecost, back in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, when he was gathered there, it's the day of Pentecost. It's all the Jews who were there. Peter stands up. He's got a total Jewish audience. And he's saying, repent and be baptized because they hadn't been baptized. They hadn't, they hadn't agreed with John's baptism. And he says, be baptized, every one of you. So 
Don't miss this. Don't miss what I'm about ready to say. These Jews that he's talking to, he's giving them a Jewish formula for baptism. Okay? He says, Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. When I baptize you up here, do I say I baptize you, my brother, in the name of Jesus Christ and bring you up? What do I say? And every, every preacher I've ever served under. Baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And if I don't like you, I'll hold you down underneath the water while I say all that stuff. Right? I'm just kidding. I, I almost, people don't believe me when I try to be mean because they're like, you, don't, you can't be mean. But uh, what's the difference? Well, he's, he's talking to Jews. Yeah, yep, yeah. And he's talking, he's talking to Jews, which is my point, which I'll get there. Uh, well, I did. I got there in the last lesson. With the, that's the one that saves you is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But he says, be baptized in the name of Jesus. What's the difference? Here's the difference, okay? Again, you can't take it out of the context. So uh, he says earlier on in his preaching, before Acts 2.38, if you look at verse 36, therefore, he's, he's going to address his audience. Let all the house of Israel know assuredly. Who's Israel? The Jews, right? That's who he's talking to. That God hath made that same Jesus whom ye crucified, both Lord and Christ. You know what he just got through doing? He got through preaching a message from Joel chapter 2 about Jesus, how he is the Messiah, he is the Son of God, and he's coming back to reign as King of kings and Lord of lords, and you crucified him. And when he said that, when they heard this in verse 37, they were pricked in the heart. They said, man, we blew it big time. We blew it. We crucified our Messiah and the ones who received it. Now, they didn't all get saved, but 3,000 of them did, came under conviction, heavy conviction. And they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles that were with him, men and brethren, what shall we do? They want, to, they want to know, we crucified our Messiah. Are we just condemned now? Is there anything that we can do? Is God all done with us? And listen, even if you crucified the Messiah, God is not done with you. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? I mean, let's get that. Let's not miss that. Even if you, and I got, I got news for you. It was your sins that nailed Jesus to the cross and my sins. And even that, God says, I'll forgive that. There's only one thing God won't forgive. Unbelief. It's failure to believe on Jesus Christ alone for salvation. God won't forgive that. Because that's the only way of getting saved. That's truly the unpardonable sin for this age. That's the only way for getting saved, yes. Somebody's getting it. Amen. See? So clear that a five year old who came here as a five year old understands it, and now he's seven. Understands it. And that's the way God wants it. He he doesn't make it hard. He said it's only through believing in Jesus. And he said it real clear. He understands. And praise the Lord. It wasn't the Lord. It wasn't. You didn't come up with that out of your heart. That came from the Lord. So, therefore, let all the house of Israel. Now, that's not you. That's the Jew. Let all the house of Israel know 
that the one you crucified, God made him both Lord and Christ. When they heard this, they said, what do we got to do? Then Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you. Now, let me take that and run with that for just a minute. Repent and be baptized. Now, as we look at that, I want you to ask this question, ask this question in your mind. Did the Jews that were present believe that if they got into that water, that they could be forgiven of their sins? Do you think that they believed that water baptism equals the forgiveness of sins? Do you think they believed that? No, they did not. These were Jews who, under the Old Testament, they knew what is described to us in the book of Hebrews, that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. They knew that uh, the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away your sins. That it has to be through a bloody sacrifice. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. They understood by the law that you have to shed blood in order to have forgiveness of sins. So they did not equate water baptism with salvation or forgiveness of sins. Why do we today? Because the Jews didn't. They certainly didn't. They knew better than that. No Jew would have been foolish enough to believe that sins were forgiven by water. And water has never once in the Bible been used to remit sins. They not once in the Bible. They couldn't have until they were sheep and goats. Yep. Blood had to be yep. And blood, I mean, from the time of Adam and Eve, think about them in the garden. Think about Adam and Eve in the garden. What happens? They knew that they messed up, they'd sinned, they were hiding from God. God shows up and what does He do? He kills an animal. A little innocent animal. Never did anything to anybody. Never did anything wrong. Adam and Eve, they're the ones that did something wrong. This little innocent animal, maybe two or three of them, we don't know, had to die because they disobeyed God. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and that's true. Yeah, there's a difference between there. Pause and think about that. Two separate things is what Brother Buck was saying. There's a, there's a comma after repent. Yep. So I'll come back to that. But what they understood is shedding of blood was the way that sin is forgiven. So why did Abel show up with an animal sacrifice and God accepted it? Well, his daddy Adam told him, this is what you do. This is, how you get, this is how we get our sins forgiven, son. It's through animal sacrifices. And all of those animal sacrifices typified the one coming sacrifice of the Lamb of God. He's the only one who could take away sin. So in the Old Testament, they knew that sins could be remitted or forgiven. Like cancer's in remission. It's not gone, but it's just suppressed. And uh, you're not going to die of it. It's in remission, but it's not taken away. The only thing that can take away sin is the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Now, it can take away sin, take care of it. That's what they were going to learn. But they all understood it was a blood sacrifice. Okay, so they never would have thought water, so why should we? That's my point. And on that day of Pentecost, Peter preached that. And you know what he was saying to them? He was saying, first of all, repent. Now, repent of what? What would they have understood? Repent for crucifying your Messiah. Okay? That's the first thing they would have understood. Second thing they would have understood is He is Lord and Christ. So they would have believed that. Repentance. When you think of repentance, repentance and faith, as I've said, are two sides of the same coin. 
Saving faith. You cannot be saved by a faith that does not repent. So a saving faith is also a faith that repents. You cannot be saved by a repentance that does not place its faith 100% in Jesus. You understand? Because you can repent and say, I'm sorry for all my sins. Sorry for my drinking, beating up my wife. I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to stop beating up my wife. And uh, you've repented, sure. You're not saved. Repentance without saving faith, you see, is not gospel repentance. So to say I repent is the same as to say I believe if it's gospel repentance. So they're repenting of crucifying him. They're saying he is, in fact, Lord and Christ. That's step one. That's what, they, that's what is missed, to believe that. And what do they believe in place of that? They believe, well, if I've, I want to join the church, I've got to do what they told me to do. They told me to repent, so I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be sorry for my sins. And even though there's no real genuine conviction there, they've got to tell me I've got to repent. And what that means to them, that means stop sinning. Okay? That's not gospel repentance. Repentance is simply a change of mind. So you are changing your mind about who you are. First of all, the Bible says I'm a sinner. So I'm changing my mind about that. I used to think I wasn't that bad of a guy. Now I agree I'm a sinner and I'm in trouble with God. That's part of repentance, changing your mind about that. And you're agreeing with God. And then the other part of repentance is to say, the only way to get saved is like Jay said, is to trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. So I'm changing my mind about Jesus and His importance in my life. And I realize I need Him. Because if not, I'm going to die and go to hell. And repentance is a change of mind that leads... I was once going astray like a sheep, going my own way, doing my own thing. I repent of that. Instead of doing my own thing and ignoring God in my life, I'm turning to God by faith. That's repentance. Yes, sir? Don't you have to ask for forgiveness at that time? Yes. So... At, well, no, yes and no. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You're calling on Jesus and you're admitting, I am a sinner. Yeah, and I thank you. God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I thank you, Christ, for dying for me. I want you to be my Savior. I don't want to go to hell when I die. I'll, that's what a person is believing Asking them, asking him to forgive you. You don't have to go through a list of everything you've ever done wrong and say, forgive me of that and forgive me of that. And if I miss something, well, I might be in trouble. That's not what he's saying. But it is a forgiveness of sins. But that's what you receive as a result of believing on Jesus Christ. You receive forgiveness. So it's not, the, it's not what you say in the prayer, but it's calling from the heart saying, I believe you died for my sins. I believe I'm guilty before a holy God. And I want you to be my Savior. I believe you were buried and you rose again the third day and that you're able to take care of my sins and give me eternal life. And a person is saved that way. They, they were repenting of crucifying the Son of God. Now, if you say to a person today, repent and believe the gospel, well, you might be saying to them, repent of your religion. You're trying to work your way to heaven. Repent of that. That's wrong. You're, trying, you're trusting your good works. You're not trusting in Jesus Christ. Get saved. Or you might be talking to a person who is a, just a real rank Sinner, and uh, not that everybody's not a sinner, but this person is like a, a murderer. You know, he'd been in and out of jail, cooking up drugs, burned his house down, burned his neighbor's house down, <laughs> saying to that person, repent. What are they supposed to repent of? Repent of your wickedness. Repent of your sin. You can't take your sin and go to heaven with it. You've got to repent of it. That's still gospel repentance. But at the, at the basis, it's a change of mind. But listen, we got that, right? Repentance is the moment of trusting Jesus Christ, turning to God, placing your faith in Jesus Christ, and be baptized. But the question is, is baptism 
necessary for salvation. Look at the wording closely. What they say is if you repent and you're baptized, then you'll receive remission or forgiveness of sins and you'll receive the Holy Ghost. Is that how it works? Not if you believe the Bible. Not if you have a brain in your head. For the remission of sins, what does that mean? Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. They were already forgiven. You know what he's saying? Because you are forgiven. Because your sins were forgiven. When Jesus hung on that cross and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Because there is forgiveness of sins. Repent. Not repent and be baptized in order to have your sins forgiven. You're you're forgiven the moment you believe on Jesus Christ. But repent and be baptized because of the remission of sins is how you have to understand that. Because if you say in order to, that's the wrong understanding of it because that doesn't line up with Scripture. In order to have your sins remitted and in order to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then the Lord throws in something in there to mess them up later on in the book of Acts. Somebody receives the Holy Ghost before they even get baptized. You know? And here's the fact, folks. If you want to be dogmatic and you, and you want to say, now, Acts 2.38, I was baptized as an infant, which I want to ask you a question. How were you possibly able to repent and believe the gospel if you were an infant? Well, you couldn't. But you say, I'm just going to trust what my church teaches. Well, fine, go to hell. Go to hell on Acts 2.38, but God don't want you to go to hell. And I don't want you to go to hell. Yes, sir? To me, uh, baptism is a sign of your faith. Mm-hmm, Yep. Yep, and that's what baptism is. And it's not just to you, it's according to the scriptures. Baptism is an outward profession. It's an outward symbol of an inner faith. So it's picturing what has already happened. Yeah. You add to that what the Bible says that, that uh, Paul said to the Corinthians, I have begotten you through the gospel. You're saved by faith in Jesus Christ, placing your faith in Jesus Christ. Then you're baptized. But what I'm trying to point out is Acts 2.38. What is the answer? Now, what I, just ex- what I just explained to you is not just an explanation for that. That is, that is the way to understand Acts 2.38. It was a Jewish baptism for people who crucified Jesus. And they were not baptized in order to have their sins forgiven. They were baptized because their sins were forgiven at the cross. And Jesus said, forgive them, and they were forgiven. But... It wasn't good for them until they trusted Jesus Christ. 3,000 of them did. The rest of them didn't. It's the same thing today. You, you have forgiveness of sins based on the cross, what happened 2,000 years ago, and it's finished. You can't add anything to it, but it's not going to be good for you and put on your account unless you personally trust Jesus Christ today. Let me leave you with this last one. When John the Baptist says, repent, repent. God's going to cut you down like a tree. He's going to take out his axe and cut you down. You better repent. And uh, the people came forward for repentance or for baptism. And he said, when you come forward, I want to see fruits meet for repentance. You know what he's saying? If you're really repentant, I want to see it. If, if you're repentant, I want to see fruits meet for repentance. It's not baptized, be baptized in order to be forgiven. It's a baptism of repentance to prepare you for Jesus. But he said, I want to see that something's already happened in your heart. And I want to see the difference in your life, a changed life. Bring forth fruits, meet for repentance, and then I'll baptize you, is what John was saying. Yeah, yeah. 
And so the whole, the whole, yeah, and the whole point in tonight's message was just to show you that Acts two thirty eight is not the plan of salvation for the church. It's not. It's a Jewish thing, and it's not for the church. You know where our plan of salvation is? It's in the book of Acts or book of Romans. It's in the book of Romans. Romans chapter, well, the whole book. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I know what it was like the first time I heard these things. And uh, Lord, I thank you that uh, we're able to receive and get enough out of it. And uh, you got something for every one of us here, and we received it, and we're thankful and glad. And Lord, I thank you that over the, over the years, you've helped me to get settled in these things where I don't get shook up about them anymore. And Lord, uh, I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And that I know one day when it comes my time for leaving this world or when Jesus comes back, I'm persuaded that I'm kept through Jesus.